as you sit down, um, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab the Bible in the pew back in front of you, and you can turn to page 889, 889. If you don't own a Bible, you can have that Bible. That is our gift to you. Here at the chapel, we love to study God's word, read God's word, and do it together. Um, we're in a series right now, a new series that we'll be in for a couple of weeks um, called Transforming Presence. And the main, the main purpose of it is we desire God to move in extraordinary ways in our lives and in the world around us. And oftentimes, regularly, the way God is going to transform the world around us, the way we're going to see quote-unquote revival, um, the places that we're going to see transformation happen is going to begin with us first. Like, it starts with you and me. Like, if you want God to do something big in your world, your community, your neighborhood, your family, in the lives of your children, in your group, Sunday morning, home group, Whatever you're a part of, if you want to see God move, the way he's going to, to, be, to begin that is with you first. He's going to start with you. He's going to transform you. And, and the way you and I can experience that transformational power, or what we call presence, is by building habits, disciplines, practices that are going to reinforce what we believe about God and that it's going to reinforce this idea, right? That God is moving, he's working and he works through these habits. He works through these disciplines that we stay committed to. The, the, the disciplines that we do every single day as often as we can. Last week we talked about reading and studying the Bible and we said um, that is probably one of the most important things you can do in your Christian walk. You want to know who God is. You want to understand who God is. You want to have an intimate, vibrant relationship with God. You want to, to see your life be transformed. You have to be committed to studying and reading God's word. And this morning we're going to talk about worship, right? So, so the God that we read and study in the Bible, what, what then, then do we do? Well, we worship. That's our response. And that's a discipline. Because, because when you think about worship, what, what do you really think about? For me, when I instantly think about worship, the first thing, if you spend enough time in the church, if you've gone to church for a really long time, um, instantly you think of what? The songs that we sing. Like in the church I grew up in, we called it the devotional Right? That, was the, that was the time in which we, we sang songs to God. And we tend to think that the, the way we worship God is through song, singing songs. And that is a part of worship, but, but I think there's a different definition of what worship is. There's, there's a different understanding of what worship is in the Bible. And this morning, we're going to look at the, probably the most famous passage about worship found in John chapter 4. I'll be in verses 21 to 24. I think in the first service I got to 23. I'll read it. John chapter 4, verses 21 to 24. 
Jesus said to her, who's her? He's having a conversation with a woman, a Samaritan woman. We don't know her name, but we know she lives in Samaria because that is where Jesus is at right now in this moment, in this passage. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Okay? First time now in this chapter that Jesus mentions worship. You worship, second time, what you do not know. We worship, third time, what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23. But the hour is coming, once again he mentions that idea, and is now here, where the true worshipers, all right, so now he's qualified it, the people who worship will worship the Father, Second time he mentions the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, so what is worship? What is Jesus talking about in this passage when he says worship? For me, it's, it could be the songs that we sing at the beginning of the service before we study God's word. But is that what Jesus is saying in this passage? There's going to be a time where you're going to sing songs, not on this mountain. No, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. What do you think Jesus is talking about when he says worship? Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of definitions of what worship is by men who are a lot smarter than I am, who got the definition from scripture of what we see, particularly like in Romans chapter 12 and what we see in the Old Testament. And we'll also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, like what is worship? Here, here are a couple of definitions and then I'll talk a little bit about the context that Jesus is in. John Piper says, this is worship. The inner essence of worship is to know God truly. It's an intellectual practice. And then respond from the heart. So he then says it's an intellectual practice that informs your feelings, your emotions, to, the, to that knowledge by view, valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in actions of praise from our lips and actions of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. So John Piper says, worship is an intellectual and an emotional practice that gives us feelings of joy, contentment, and peace. And then our response is not just those feelings, but is also in actions, right? We feel those things and then, and then we serve. We, we love others, we love God, we're committed to doing good works. Another definition by Louis Giglio, he says, worship is our response, both personal, corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. That's like a simpler definition than John Piper's, right? One more. This one, I think, resonated more with me. 
It's by Donald Whitney. He says, worship is the God-centered focus and response of the soul. The essence of who we are. It is being preoccupied with God. That resonated with me. This, this idea that our attention and our focus, our affections and feelings, our actions, everything that we do, everything that we are, the things that we think about, the things that we feel are towards and for the Godhead, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Worship might include praying, right? So it's, it's not just like, hey, songs that we sing, or it's just not feelings, but it, worship happens during prayer, whether with our words. Worship happens when we participate in communion, when we think and reflect about the goodness of God and what he has done for us through his son Jesus, right? Worship happens when we're participating in studying God's word with other people. We're devoting our time and our energy and our mental practice to learning more about God so that our hearts and our minds can draw closer to the person that we serve and love in Jesus Christ. It can happen also in a conversation. It can happen while you're doing the dishes. The most dreadful thing that you could ever do in your life <laughs> besides folding the laundry. You know how many times I lose socks and I just don't understand how, where did the socks go, right? Like, but you can worship God during that time. Because, because worship is not just songs that we sing. Worship, right, are thoughts that we have about God to God. It's meditating on God's word. It's also feelings that we, we conjure up about who God is and what he has done. So, so Jesus is going to address to a Samaritan woman. Right, we all know the story. The Samaritan woman, he's going to address what we worship and how we worship. Because there's a misconception. There was a misconception during the New Testament times. The misconception was that worship was only connected to a sacred location where you had to go to to worship. And, and to not be in that place, you could not worship, right? So you couldn't worship in your homes. You, you couldn't worship in your community. The, the proper place to worship was in the temple. And the Samaritan woman, uh, we know the story, living in sin, Jesus exposes the sin of our heart and says, hey, listen, like you have a pattern of sin, and one of those patterns is that you're, you're living out the sinful practice of, of having five husbands, you're sleeping around, and, and that is not acceptable to the Lord. The second sin that he exposes, we don't explicitly see it, but what we see is that she was a Samaritan woman who lived in Samaria. If you know anything about the Samaritans, there were two things that they believed. One, they believed that God and his word was only in the five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and you guys remember the felt board with the thing and the thing and the thing, right? I had a Sunday school teacher to make sure we knew the books of the Bible and the Ten Commandments. She would be disappointed because I often forget the books of the Bible and the Ten Commandments. 
They believed that God, God's word was only in those five books and everything else, the Psalms, the prophets. It wasn't God's word. Second thing is that they believed that you could only worship God, the true God, in their temple, which the Jews destroyed, right? So there were two temples. There was a temple in Samaria and there was a temple in Jerusalem. So the Jews were like, you can only worship God in Jerusalem in this temple. The Samaritans were like, you can only worship God on this mountain in this temple that we created. So, so Jesus is going to expose in the woman's heart not only her sinful pattern in action, but her sinful pattern in theology. He's going to address the true heart of worship. When I read this passage, I thought of that song. Remember that song? I'm not going to sing it. I'll say it. I'm going back to the heart of worship. What's the next line? And it's all about you. That, that song is about this passage. Jesus is going to say to the Samaritan woman, and he's going to say to you and me this morning, true worship, authentic worship, genuine worship comes from the heart and it's towards God. True and genuine worship is not found in a particular, specific, sacred location. True worship happens in your emotions. True worship happens in your emotions when your mind is stirred up by biblical truth about who God is and what he has done. That is true worship. It's not only in the songs that we sing. It's in our mind and in our heart and in our action. And that is what Jesus is going to show us. True worship, like I said, takes place in our hearts when we know who God is through his word. Why do you think Jesus needs to address the issue of worship in this passage. Why do you think Jesus needs to address the issue of worship in our heart? Why do you think Paul in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14 presses the idea of what true worship looks like? Why do you think it's so important? The reason why worship is important for you and me is because one, we were created and designed to worship. God created us in his image so that our life, our words, our actions, our thoughts, everything we did would be for the glory and honor of his son, Jesus. You and I were created to bring praises to Jesus. You read the Psalms and it says to praise God with your lips, but you read other passages in the Bible, it says to praise God with your lifestyle, with your actions, with your affections, with your thoughts. And the reason why worship is so important and Jesus has to address it here is because we were designed to worship. But what happened? Sin happened. Sin corrupted our worship. Sin corrupted the idea of worship. Sin corrupted the way we worship, our motive of worship. Sin even distorted our worship that we worship other things. The object of our worship has no longer been the creator and sustainer of the universe. The object of our worship oftentimes can be other things, other places, 
relationships, family, friends, money. So Jesus has to address it. Secondly, not only were we designed to worship, but we need to know about ourselves. What we see in the Bible and what we see in the Samaritan woman is you are going to worship what you ultimately love. You are going to worship what you ultimately love. And my question for you right now is, what do you ultimately love? What is the thing that you spend a whole lot of time thinking about? What is the thing or the person you spend a lot of time thinking about? What stirs your emotions? What stirs your affections? What is the thing that you tell yourself, I can't live without this. That is what you love, and what you love, you will worship. Because sin has distorted that, right? It, it can be your children, it can be your marriage, it can be your relationship, it can be anything that you possess, your highest possession, your house, your car. You can love that so much that you don't realize that you will worship it, meaning that you will think about it often, your heart will feel it often, you will desire it often, you will be tempted to give in to think about it, to feel about it. That is what you worship. And that is what happened to the Samaritan woman. What does she ultimately love? Sin. What was she stirred by? a bad theology of where God resided and his presence and where she would worship. Jesus is telling us, one, we are designed to worship. Two, you are going to worship what you love. Do you love Jesus? Do you love the Father more than you love your possessions? Do you love God more than your spouse? Mamas, do you love God more than your children. Husbands, fathers, do you love your job and money more than God? If the answer is yes, that's what you worship. Now here's a good thing. We who are redeemed, we who have been chosen before the foundations of the earth to know God, love God, and be in fellowship with God, God sanctifies us so that every time we are tempted to worship something other than God, he's going to bring us back. And the way he brings us back, through his word. What do you love more than God? If you want to see transformational presence, do you want to see God radically change your life and the world around you? You want to build a habit, a pattern, a practice of worship. Every day, acknowledging who God is, studying who God is, allowing your heart to be stirred by the presence of God, the thoughts of God, the truth of God's word in your life. If you want to see 
yourself and your children and your wife and your husband and your kids fall in love with Jesus and worship Jesus alone and not something else, then you have to devote the time and energy in worshiping God through song, meditation, reading the word, thinking about him, talking about him, thanking him, being grateful towards him, telling him how much you love him and care for him, telling him how much you need him. That is what worship is. And I know it doesn't sound sexy. It's not cool. That's not, a, that's not something that you put on a t-shirt or something that you want to talk about with your, with your group thing, majig, whatever you do on Sunday morning or during the week. Right? It's, it doesn't sound good because, because, uh, it's just worship. But imagine this. In eternity, you and I are going to be spending millions and millions and millions, trillions of years doing what? Worshiping God. So we get to do it here as practice. You and I have the opportunity in this moment to devote our time and energy in truly lifting up the name of Jesus and not lifting up the name of our skills, our talents, our desires, our relationships, our family and friends. You and I have the beautiful opportunity while we're alive on this earth to lift up the name of Jesus in every aspect of our lives for his glory and his praise. Why? Because he deserves it. Because he did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. He is doing for you now what you can't do for yourself now. So then you ought to worship God with everything you have, with everything that you're able to do as a reminder and also a barrier and protection from falling into the trap of thinking there's something better to worship than God. The way Jesus addresses this is in verse 22 by saying, there isn't a place to worship God, meaning there isn't an only place to worship God. For the Jews and the Samaritans, they believe you can only worship God in the temple. And there are many people who say, maybe in our church, I don't know, that the only time we can worship God is in this building. The beauty is you can worship God with your life, your attitude, your actions, your disposition, how you respond to other people, the work effort you put in your job. You can do that for the glory of God at the place that God has called you to be, in the spaces that God has called you to be in. That's the beauty that you can lift up the name of Jesus, not with a sacrifice in a temple, but you can do it with your actions, your words, and your thoughts everywhere you find yourself. So that's Jesus' main point here too. Hey, you can worship anywhere. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, Tim Marrero says, I can worship God anywhere, so I don't have to come to church. Gotcha, because I got a Bible verse for you. You think you're slick, but I gotcha, because I know you guys were thinking it. You guys were like, oh, I don't have to come to church and worship, so I can do it wherever I want. So 
I'm not gonna wake up today and I'll just watch it online. No offense to the people who are watching online. But, but, you wanna hear the Bible verse? To convict you, <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, meaning hold on to sound biblical doctrine. Stand firm. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How do we encourage other people to also, as an act of worship, encourage them to do what is right for the people of God, for the glory of God, so that the, the, the other people who, who, who don't understand and know God can see God in the things that we're doing. 25, you ready? It's gonna hit you square in the eyes, or is that the saying? Between the eyes, yeah, we're not, we wanna see, we don't wanna go blind. 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What does that mean? Come to church so that you can worship as well. Come to church so that other people can encourage you to worship God so that you're not doing it by yourself because we weren't meant to live out our faith by ourselves. Two, Come worship God with other people because other people will also help you be committed to sound biblical doctrine so that when you get heretical, someone can say, hey, that's weird, stop. <laughs> right? Come to church. Be committed to the people of God to help out the people of God so that you and I together can worship God, back to John 4, in spirit and in truth. So, can you worship God with your life, your mind, your heart, your actions, everything you do can be an act of worship? Yes. Does it have to be here? No. But should it be here too? Yes. Wherever you find yourself, worship God also, come to church so that you can worship him. I've said this already, but Jesus also addresses the object of our worship. What's, what should be the object of our worship? Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. He's accusing her. Hey, listen, you guys are not worshiping God the Father. We worship what we know. He's referring to himself and the Jewish tradition. They worship God the Father. For salvation is from the Jews. So, so what is Jesus saying? He's saying the object of our worship is the God the Father. But he's also saying that he and the Father are one. So the object of our worship, the, the theology that we believe is that we worship Jesus Christ. That is a proper response to what God has done, is to worship Jesus Christ. Jesus saying, worship me. When you worship the Father, you're worshiping me. So worship me. The object of our worship should always be towards Jesus Christ. That is the object 
of our worship. In fact, Jesus said it himself in the beginning of uh, the Gospel of Matthew. He tells that to Satan, right? When Satan is trying to tempt him to worship not God the Father, Jesus tells him, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. We worship the triune God. What we sang in that song of King of Kings, we worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So that's what we worship. That's the object of our worship. How do we worship? Because there is an inappropriate way to worship. How should we worship? Look at verse 23. In verse 23, Jesus is going to answer the question, how you and I should worship. How should we approach worship in our everyday life? He uses two words. He uses the word in spirit and in truth. What does that mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? Well, it means this. It means in spirit means that you and I worship from our heart. You and I worship God on the inside of our heart. It means that our feelings, what we feel, is directed towards the person of Jesus Christ. True, authentic worship happens when our feelings are stirred by Christ to Christ for his glory. It's you and I, not just checking a box off and saying, I sang a song and I worship. No, it's you and I being stirred by our emotions towards God with sincerity knowing that all that we need and all that we could ever ask for is found in the person of Jesus Christ. My question for you is, when was the last time you were moved by worship? When was the last time your heart was stirred? When was the last time the feelings that you had were direct? in correlation to who God is and what he has done. When was the last time you cried before God because you knew who he was in light of your sin and all that you can feel, all that you can think about is how grateful you are. Joy swelled up in your heart realizing that you are a sinner and God saved you from your own sin and you wouldn't be here if not for his grace and mercy. When was the last time that your heart was stirred by the presence of God? When was the last time that you felt something about who God is and what he has done? So many of us are motivated by feelings of our relationships and our children and possessions that we have that we forget that we should be stirred by the presence of the living God who abides in us, who fills our heart up so that we can know him. When was the last time that you felt God move in your heart where you were stirred by his presence? Christianity is not a faith of just emotions. But what Jesus is saying here, worship has to do with your feelings. Worship has to do with what you feel towards God, how you feel about God. 
truth be told, I don't know when the last time like I truly, genuinely had my heart stirred by the Lord um, or towards the Lord in ways that were like impactful that I remembered, right? Like I remember that time. It's been a long time. And that's not to say that every day you have to have this experiential experience with the Lord where you have to, every day you have to feel something towards him or for him. No, but it's to say that in everyday life, whether today, next week, next month, your heart with sincerity moves closer to the Lord. When was the last time your heart was filled with humility when you participated in communion because you were struck how gracious God has been to you because of your sin? We do communion here once a month and when I thought about that, I was like, ooh, that just hit me because like, we just take it. But when, when was the last time you felt humility when you took it? When was when was the last time you had an awe moment when you were reading your Bible? That's worship. If you think, like I said before, worship is only an emotional experience, it's not. It's also an intellectual experience because Jesus says to worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean, in truth? It's an intellectual pro- uh, uh, experience meaning that our hearts are stirred, our feelings are stirred to God, towards God, because we know who he is through his word. We have sound doctrine and theology about what we feel towards God because we know him through his word. This is where some movements get it wrong. They think that, that ecstatic emotion is, is, is the only presence of God you can sense in your life. But no, Jesus is saying to worship him in spirit and truth is to worship with emotion, but also to worship him with your mind. How do you worship God with your mind? Is to know him through his word. I love what John Piper says about this section right here is, It's interesting, this is what he says. John Piper says, worship must have heart and worship must have head. Worship must engage your emotions and worship must engage your thoughts. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of unspiritual fighters. Emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates flaky people who reject the discipline of rigorous thought. True worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Right? You want to worship God in spirit and truth? It's to know him, to experience him through your emotions that is based on the biblical teachings of who God is and is and in his word. This kind of worship is the worship that God is seeking. That's what the next verse says. Imagine that God the Father is seeking people to worship him in spirit and in truth. God the Father is seeking the type of worship 
that involves your feelings and that involves your emotions and involves your thought. Everything you are, everything you do is to worship God. I'm gonna give you an illustration of this. Not mine. This is someone else's illustration, so I can't take credit for it. This is um, what they say worship is and, and an illustration of it. Fuel, the fuel of worship is the truth of who God is. Fuel. Think of fuel, fire. The fuel of worship is the truth of who God is. The fire that makes the fuel burn white hot is the quickening of the Holy Spirit, meaning the presence of the Holy Spirit. The furnace made alive and warm by the flame of truth is our renewed spirit and resulting heat of our affections is worship, pushing it away out in tears, confessions, prayers, praises, acclamations, lifting up of hands, bowing low, and obedient living. If the quickening of the Holy Spirit got you nervous, um, that was a John Piper quote. So he, he, he illustrates this, right? That, that the fuel of our worship is the truth of who God is. The fire, right, is the Holy Spirit within us, filling us up to see who God is, right? And the furnace that keeps it going is, excuse me, yeah, is the renewal of the Spirit, right? Where, which is the affections. When was the last time you had a genuine experience of worship? In reading the word, communion, fellowship, devotion, when was the last time while you were doing the dishes, folding the laundry, having that conversation with your husband or your spouse that you experienced worship? You can experience worship in all those things. If you and I cultivate the practice of worship in our lives, we are going to see God move in ways we have not seen them before. Why? Because our focus and our attention is on him. Our focus and our attention on making him known in our lives in everyday, ordinary times. Let's pray. Father God, we ask you, O Lord, that you would kindle in us a deep desire to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, would you stir our affections towards your son Jesus? Would you, O oh Lord, stir our minds to think about you clearly and rightly? God, would you bring us back to the heart of worship where it's all about you what we feel is about you, towards you. What we think about is for you, towards you. What we do is for you. God, we confess that we often have worshiped other things and not you. Would you forgive us? Make us more like your son, Jesus. We need you, Lord, and we need you now. We pray this in Christ's name and the people of God say. This has been a message from the chapel in Akron, Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. Our Sunday morning services are at 9 and 1040 a.m. You can join us online for our services by going to akronlive.thechapel.life. For more information about the chapel, please visit our website 
at thechapel.life.